0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Stars and Startups Podcast with me, Varun Gombani. Today I welcome our guest, Alok Mittal, who you can say has become a fixture in the Indian startup ecosystem. Alok is currently the co-founder and CEO of Indify, a debt financing platform for the Indian SME. He is also an angel investor and the founding board member of the Indian Angel Network that he had helped set up in 2005 after his startup Jobs Ahead was acquired by Monster.com. Alok went on to become a venture capitalist, lead the India operations for Canaan Park. If you want to stay informed about future episodes, uh, listen to some amazing entrepreneurs just like Alok Mittal. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to this or on YouTube. You can also stay informed by subscribing to our Substack at stars.substack.com where you will get intimated every time we release a new episode. Okay, let's say hi to Alok Mittal. Welcome to the show, Alok.
1: Thanks, Varun. And uh, we will talk about the fixture comment of yours. (laughs) But but thank you for having me over. Awesome. Um, Hey, Alok, you know, this is a very interesting time uh, for startups in general and, and, you know, what's happening in the ecosystem. And you're probably, you know, you have your uh, ear close to the ground.
0: But before I get to what's happening today, I need to ask you, in 99, when you started Jobs Ahead, a lot of Indian startups actually started with a jobs portal at that time. Was it the original
1: internet gold rush in India? It was, right? So, 99 was the dot-com boom days. And in fact, the dot-com boom had already been taking effect uh, in US uh, for a couple of years before that. Uh, I had been looking at starting a business for a couple of years before that, right? and. In the mid-90s, the only business as a techie you could do was uh, software exports. So I did try my hand at that. And then, uh, you know, Puneet and I got together and we said, this is the whole internet rush happening. And we need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So initially, we actually did not start with the notion of building a job board. Right. Uh, There were, I think, less than 2 million internet users of any sort. Uh, This included the dial-up plans and everything. And, uh, we said, uh, you know, all of these are people between 18 to 35. So let's build everything that 18 to 35 year olds are going to need. So we had a business called Zip Ahead, which had uh, jobs in it. It had dating. Uh, so, you know, Tinder back, back in 99. <laughs> it had fashion. Uh, and, uh, it had e commerce. We were selling books online. Uh, so we launched that in, uh, November of 1999. And in the first 45 days, uh, it was clear that 80% of our traffic was going to jobs, yeah. right? So the consumers voted with their clicks that jobs is what they cared about and rest everything was uh, optional. And so within two months, uh, March 2000, then we launched Jobs Ahead as a separate brand saying this is where we're going to... It took us a while to give up the rest of Zip Ahead, but the focus on Jobs Ahead came in very, very quickly. So Zip Ahead was a
2: classifieds at that time?
1: No, it was a it was a, a full stack. So jobs meant that we were doing jobs with the you know classified and the database piece. We were doing books end to end. So we were sourcing books, we were shipping books, right? Uh, you know, dating and uh, uh, fashion was largely content. Uh, you know, at that point in time, okay. we did not have a lot of services to back that up. Were people just coming online to find work? Because I'm guessing there were. No, I'm sure there were headhunters, right? Why Why was internet uh, enabling this? Uh, because I think yeah. Nokri oh. also started around the same time. No, no, no. Nokri actually had existed three years before we started. Okay. So Nokri was founded in '96, if my memory serves me right. So there was already uh, Nokri brand was well established. They had not started to monetize or think of it that like a real business. So it was a bulletin board uh but uh there was evidence of traction where we drew most of our uh inspiration from though uh were the u.s markets uh and monster was already large in u.s it was a publicly listed company uh and we could find we could see the relevance of that uh service to the indian market right newspaper classifieds were already big so in u.s also a lot of transition to online jobs happened from newspaper classified in fact monster was bought by TMP Worldwide, which is the which was the largest uh, job classified company in the in the country. Uh, and so we could see that migration happening. Uh, that was the reason to pick jobs. But we picked jobs as one of the categories, and then you know users told us that that was the only thing they wanted.
2: So you doubled down on jobs because uh, majority of the traffic is going there. And if, if right right, it was a, if,
1: probably the fastest pivot in startup history. Right? It was November we <laughs> launched Zip <laughs> Ahead, and by March we had already launched Jobs. I would imagine. At that time, there were also very few websites that people could go to and find good information. Were you creating content, or was it uh, content being created by users at that time? No, so we were creating content. Uh, you know, the, the mechanism of user participation was discussion boards, mm. right? So bulletin boards. So we had that enabled. Uh, so architecturally, you know, we wanted to do content uh, community and transactions. Now in a service like jobs, it was largely transactions right. in a service like fashion. It was content and community. Uh, right. The idea, uh, was, you know, if this is the only audience and there are so few of those people around, then give them everything that they need. So there was this whole notion of, uh, audience focused verticals. They were called voters, vertical photos. Uh, I village yeah. was a example for women in us. Hmm. Uh, so he said, if women is my audience, I'll give them everything. So we said, in India, youth is the only audience, so let's give them everything. And then they came back and said, no, we don't want everything; we just want jobs, right? So <laughs> um, when you started Jobs Ahead, you were still working at Addison, Um no. or were you? You would quit, and you were like, okay, I'm gonna uh, yeah, know, yeah I had quit. Something. So yeah, I had quit. So um, I, you know, I think. Uh, uh, Puneet and I met in, I want to say late March, early April. Okay. And I used to be based in Bangalore at that point in time. Okay. And literally we had, uh, we chatted over a night out. One night. Right? Puneet was visiting from Delhi. Uh, and uh, over the course of that night, we decided that we are going to do an internet business. We didn't know okay. what, right? So the ideas were still open. Uh, and then it took me about a couple of weeks to go in and tender my resignation, move lost stock barrel here. Uh we started out in May and then we spent about a month trying to figure out uh you know what what really we wanted to do uh, within the internet space. So I had a clean break from Edison. Uh, those guys were super supportive. You know, my super 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 boss uh you know called me you know, told me if you fail, don't worry, you can come back, we'll take you. And you know, for a 27-year-old with no family money, that was a big mm-hmm. that was a big reassurance.: Aricent was huge, right? at that time I think they also got acquired a couple of years after that. No, no actually, so those things happened quite a bit later. My sense is Aricent might have been still under a1,000 people at that point okay. in time. Uh, and then uh, they went public after a couple of years, mm. uh, and then they got acquired later uh mm-hmm. so so yeah uh Arisand was still fairly small and i had joined Arisent way back in 96. i think at that point we were 200 250 people so okay. that was part of the reason why my super 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 boss could know that there was this insect flying around called Allo who wanted to do a startup <laughs> and uh i've never forgotten that right he was he was a great mentor
2: i think a lot of other uh, entrepreneurs also came out of Arisent. um yeah.
1: You know, I think, I think globally, I think they, because they went public uh, very quickly, also made a lot of uh, few millionaires,
2: they gave them yeah. kind of bank accounts to go and do other things. Um,
1: that and I think the culture was such that uh, people got a lot of, it was a, it was a small company uh, mm-hmm. when we started out. So people got a lot of freedom. I was, uh, you know, uh, uh, the reason I went to Bangalore is my boss uh, was setting up a new company. Uh, office for what was used software system at that time now that is right. right uh and so he said ah look i wanted to come with me you know i was like sure and we started creating new products there right uh, the idea of the bangalore setup was that we will do stuff that is not happening here uh and create products for the company most of the work in Goa at that time was services yeah. and so within that team that started out pretty much the first 15 employees that uh he was going to I think at least six or seven have started their own companies. Oh, wow. And and is that is that primarily because of mindset or because they gave you opportunities and the ability to lead uh, and you know create
2: uh, you know the mindset?
1: Yeah, I think it was largely uh, the mindset, and I think things happen for a reason, right? Uh, while we may attribute a lot of our uh, moves to ourselves. The reason. So let me tell you another statistic. My IIT computer science batch had 38 students, hmm. right? More than 20 of us had started our companies by 2002, within 8 years of graduating. The whole 22
2: batch. 22
1: out of 38. Wow. 22 students out of 38 had started That's their own companies within 8 years of graduating, right? Now, what what was the reason, right? Because we graduated in '94, when '99 hit us, right? We had not built liabilities yet. Right. right, we were 27 years old. Right, uh, risk appetite was high. We were still hands-on. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go two batches before, same IIT, yeah. you will see hardly any entrepreneurs in that time period. If you go to go two batches later, you will see hardly any. Right. So I think the similar thing happened with the Edison setup at that point in time, where all of us got the confidence to build. Uh, right. All of us got exposed to these things that were happening globally, not having to focus just on doing the services business. Uh, we had a great leader there, Madhu. Uh, mm-hmm. right. He was like, yeah, if you want to do a startup, go out and do a startup. Right. So I think a lot of those things were common factors in what might have led us to, uh, become entrepreneurs. Was jobs ahead bootstrapped until you exited? No, 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 no. So jobs ahead was actually, uh, we had angel funding. Uh, as soon as we started, uh, so Puneet's family and some of my friends, uh, pitched it. Uh, and then we raised, uh, what at that time looked like two rounds of financing, but you know, in all about three and a half million dollars in the company, uh, to get it to where it, uh, it landed. So it was not bootstrap. Uh, and I think at that time that money felt like a lot of money. So okay. our first marketing campaign was, uh, I think, uh, what would have been three crores or something at that point in time, but the whole country knew that there is something called job set. You mm-hmm. know, one of our sales managers and we were poor communicators. One of our sales managers called from Bangalore because we were still zip ahead at that time. And he said, boss, it may have competition. I have job set. So, so people noticed that ad campaign, which was three crores, right? right? Uh, so, so I think we raised a fair bit of capital in the context of those days when you started out did you have the intent of raising money or you felt like you know because i would imagine
0: at that point you would had to spend for servers you don't have an aws you have a lot of infrastructural costs and you being the tech guy you probably already mapped
1: out all expenses that need to go towards you know building infra yeah so actually uh, you know we always had the intent to raise money and I think a lot of that was because what was inspiring us was the, you know, already what looked like billion dollar companies in the US, right? right? And, uh, so we knew that we will need money for sales, marketing. I don't think technology spends was that big a mover because, you know, remember it's 2 million people on internet all over the country, right? So the issues of scale that you face today where you say, you know, I'm launching Metro and it's suddenly 40 million users in 3D. <sighs> We didn't have to face that problem to be honest, right? So it wasn't technology that was driving us to raise capital but more the sales and marketing uh, uh, spreads.
2: When you reach the end of your time
1: at Monster uh, after, after the sale um, actually tell us how did the sale happen? Uh, because I would, most entrepreneurs want to run their businesses, right? They don't want to sell yeah, out. Yeah. Uh, especially yeah. when you're early in the internet and you get the opportunity to go extremely wide you could Diversify into many different businesses, there are different
2: business yeah,
1: lines. Yeah. yeah. So I think that, you know, the 2000 to 2004 was a very topsy-turvy time, right? So once the dot-com bust hit us, uh, there was no capital available, right? Zero. Okay. Uh, and uh, all of 2000, we went through, all of 2001, sorry, we went through multiple rounds of, you know, headcount cuts and so on. Where we essentially had to bring down our cost in line to get to a break even situation because we were running out of capital. So uh, we got to that point about end of 2001. And then for the next two, three years, we built the business, uh, you know, then pretty much in a bootstrap manner, uh, but growing very rapidly, three to 4x every year, uh, right, albeit on a small base. Uh, so when the offer to acquire JobZed came in, and Monster had been in the market for three years, right, uh, between Nokri and JobZed. Uh, they realized that uh, an acquisition will take them significantly further. Right? As far as we were concerned, external capital was not available at that point in time. Uh, and so I think the notion that how fast is the market growing, what are the resources available, uh, this looked like a good exit option for us. In hindsight, it looks like a terrible decision, uh, but hindsight is 2020. Uh I have though, you know, never regretted that decision because in some sense and form, uh, you know, one story gives way to many more stories, right? And so, uh, I think that for me personally did pave the way for possibilities that did not exist for me, uh, mm. before I, before I did that.
2: So the time you left, uh, Monster, uh, at that point, you became a, an investor, or venture
1: capitalist. I know a lot of successful entrepreneurs
0: become venture capitalists today, but you were quite young at that time and you probably had interest to you know build other companies or take a break to do
1: other things. Uh, Why do you yeah, choose so, to be? So, no, no, I did not. I did not. This was all very accidental. Uh, so uh, when we exited jobs ahead, we threw a party. Right, yeah. We invited our supporters and so on. And two of the people who happened to be at that party were Ashish Dhawan who was my investor at Jobs Ahead and Saurabh Shavasar, Right, And we were chatting uh, and again this is, remember this is late 2004, okay. uh, there wasn't any VC active in India apart from the government-owned VC fund. Um, and we got talking about the fact that entrepreneurs are not getting any capital mm-hmm. Right, and uh, hence we should uh, I think someone did mention you should start a fund. I was like, no way. Now, I didn't know anything about funds, right? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a techie at that point. Uh, but the idea I threw back was there was this uh, organization called Band of Angels in the US, which was a group of angel investors. So we said, why don't we just form a group of angel investors so that at least at a very early stage we can start to support on. Right? Sora, Bashir, they loved the idea. We got a few friends together February 2005. Uh, we started this thing called Indian Angel Network. Okay. Right? Uh, so that happened pretty much as a side activity, you know, while I was operating it for the first year, operating it was not a full time deal, right? We mm-hmm. got in 15 of our friends into, as angel investor. we identified our first deal, no cross, in November of 2005. Nikhil Nath was our first entrepreneur. Uh, and I was very much in the pursuit to, February 2005 is also when I came out of Monster. Uh, I was looking for my next business idea. Okay. September 13, uh, 2005, I landed up meeting Rahul Basin, who was an acquaintance uh, and was running Behrings private equity. So I went to meet him generally, right? Walking him through ideas that I was running and so on. They were not in the, even in the venture business. Hmm. So he said, oh, look, while you are looking at your next startup, why don't you um, help us build our venture back?" so i said okay 15 september monday i joined him to build bearings venture business so that was my planning for getting into the venture business and as things turned out uh, you know the bearings venture practice did not work out kenan reached out to set up india office uh, i joined kenan in march of 2006 so getting into venture capital was not a plan getting into investing was not a plan uh, i was i was very much looking at doing my next startup uh, but it happened, and then it stuck. So when when I joined Kano, I told Deepak, who recruited me there, uh, that I am here only for a couple of years because I want to do my next startup. And you know, uh, Deepak just smiled and said, "We will see, we'll see." <laughs> right? And uh, you know, that ended up being a nine, ten 10-year stint at, at uh, Kano.
2: Yeah, a decade later, uh, you know, you didn't know what's up to it.
1: So that was always um, the plan. What I did a decade later was always the plan. So don't ask me why I left venture and became an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now 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 you know that question goes out because we know exactly what happened over <laughs> there because it probably just marinated in the back of your brain, saying, I need to get out of here at some point. Um
2: at some point, yes. Uh, um how was your time at
1: uh Um uh, I, I know that they made a few interesting bets uh, in those days. Uh, yeah. Any interesting stories? No, I think I had a great time at Kim Right. So uh, uh, the fact that I joined a firm which had a lot of pedigree in the US, a lot of senior partners, uh, meant that there was a lot to learn. Right. So from an investing standpoint, uh, you know, very solid uh, set of folks. Uh, Canon itself had reinvented itself in the 2000 to 2005 timeframe from a, you know, LP based standpoint. Okay. Uh, so it was, it had vintage, but it was very, very, uh, agile. Uh, it was one of the first venture f- capital funds to decide to set up an office in it. Okay. Uh, so I had a great time. I had a great time investing, uh, just partnering with entrepreneurs, uh, listening to all the new ideas, uh, you know, Selling to entrepreneurs, uh, you know, I, somewhere through the job journey, I figured out that I'm a sales guy at heart. Uh, And so I enjoyed that process. Uh, So, so I think that was a lot of fun. Uh, I think towards the, you know, what was my fag end of that journey, uh, I started to feel itchy about doing the startup again. Uh, And, uh, you know, Kanan, from the India business standpoint, was going through a transition at that point in time. So there was a natural opportunity uh, to take that decision. What I've read is that Canaan basically sold their assets to an asset management fund uh, so that they can exit yeah. the India business. So so what Kenan, uh, you know wanted to do was to, when we started out, there was a global fund, hmm. which was investing in US, Israel and India. Uh, and uh, in 2013, for example, we decided that we did not want to have the Israel business under the global fund. And the partner there decided that he wanted to then raise a separate Canaan israel fund. Okay. and we supported that right so 2014 we did the same thing with india you know we don't we want to focus the global fund as a u.s fund right and then i had to make kind of decision whether i want to raise a fund or do something right. else right once i decided that i wanted to do a startup i actually went back to the partnership and said so so the normal course in this would be i continue to run the portfolio uh for canaan right. in india right because we want to make sure those companies See. Uh, see their natural outcomes mm-hmm. uh, but since I was doing a startup went back to the partnership I said you know the best thing for me and for you is that we find a buyer and uh, it so happened that JP Morgan where we sold the portfolio was already a limited partner uh, in the Kinan funds right so the so it was not like a you know open-ended marketing exercise they said why don't we check with some of our LPs who have a secondary business and we were able to, uh, consummate a sale of the portfolio, uh, within that. So I think that was a, that was a great decision for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Kanan did not have to worry about what is Alok doing. Alok did not have to worry about, you know, I still got to allocate 25% of my time running the portfolio. Uh, it allowed me to raise capital, you know, in a part-time entrepreneur board, I would not have felt comfortable going out and raising venture money. Mm-hmm. For multiple reasons, I think that was the right thing to do. It's a great transition. Um, As a GP, you probably only make money when your portfolio exits, right? Uh, That's that's where most majority of the
2: money, the kicker is. Uh, That's that's why you build a portfolio over ten years, uh, so on. How does it work in a deal like this?
1: No, so uh, you know, Kanan had an incentive system where uh, partners' incentives were linked to the full partnership, and not just to the deals that they did. Obviously, whether you made a partner or not, dependent on the deals that you did. Right? So, uh, I had the fortune of you know uh, being able to do that basis the investments we had done in India. Uh, and at the time that I uh, left Canaan, the investments that I had made were still not liquid. Right, uh, but thankfully we were able to liquidate our investment holding as a whole. And thankfully, uh, you know those companies have done very well uh, after that. Uh, so, one of the pleasures of selling something is that the person you are selling to should make money, mm-hmm. right? And so that was a pleasure at Jobs Ahead because Monster continued to do very well with that platform for several years mm-hmm. uh, and I think I feel happy that, uh, you know, the people who bought our portfolio uh, would have done well. You know, Bharat Matriman has gone public, Equitas has gone public, United Lexa sold profitably from where we uh, sold that portfolio. Uh, so, you know, a lot of positive news. So, you know, the right. satisfaction of investing is not just in investing or, ju- or not just in, you know, doing a secondary sale. It is in seeing those entrepreneurs succeed and build great companies.
2: Can can uh,
1: investments, was India is web 1.0, right? A lot of those yes. funds. I mean, if you look at bar matrimony, even today, sorry to say this, but probably still looks, at, looks like web 1.0. Uh, uh, when I was at Jabong we had uh, a competitor in Napthol uh, at some yeah. at some
2: level. Yeah. Actually, what happened at Napthol? I think they became like so, a TV uh, channel. They did a few other things.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that was my strategy. So what Napthol figured out is that the e-commerce space was getting too competitive and too capital intense, right? Whereas the TV TV commerce space. Still held margins for them. Right? So that was a deliberate direction that uh, Manu and the board decided to take there uh, to focus on television commerce. Uh, uh, but clearly, the the opportunity to do e commerce was there. In fact, uh, Manu's private company, uh, prior company, uh, uh, was a supplier of technology, the back end for many of the e commerce portals. Uh, yeah. Right? So he understood that uh, well, but he did not think that the uh, You know, uh, that business made sense. This is the customer acquisition cost and how much burn would that have to incur. Uh, And I think he was on the ball there. I think he was on the ball there. I think there's a great opportunity. Like, I I love the fact that you could uh, take your platform and then create videos and then uh, drive it through cable networks and get uh, kind of like home shopping, but I think they completely switched that model around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Today, and so today they started off with buying buy airtime. Yeah. And then at some point, uh, you know, Manu came up to the board and said, you know, having our own channel is meaningful. And I can tell you, uh, I was not on the board of NAPTOL at that time. My partner mm-hmm. was. Yeah. Uh, but I can tell you, there was nervousness of saying, are we going to run a TV channel now? Right. But they did a great job of, you know, launching that. The kind of content you put, how do you generate the audience? You know, what is the ad edit mix, if you will? Uh, so. Solid execution, guys. So I think, you know, to your point, we did try some of the Web 2.0 kind of investments uh, when we were at k uh, There was a license to do seed deals. Uh, you know, uh, well, so, you know, we did Tech Tribe, we did Chakpak, uh, which were all trying to create the next generation of what online recruiting could look like or communities could look like. Uh, unfortunately, we did not get much success uh, with those companies. One of the things that I felt uh, was, uh, you know, unlike the U.S. market where disruption carried a lot of value in the internet space, the Indian startup space was still constrained by execution uh, bandwidth, right? It was not easy right. to hire talent from the industry uh, in that period. And so I think uh, we, over time, started to gravitate more and more towards backing great execution. Right. So, if you look at companies like United Legs, you know, Naptole, uh, we did Happiest Minds with, uh, Mr. Yeah. Sotuta, uh, right. Uh, those were all based around there is a, a solid opportunity, solid 10x opportunity, not a 100x necessarily. And we can, uh, you know, uh, feel confident about the execution skills. So, I think more and more we started to, uh, uh, support that piece. The car trade, when I, right. Uh, great execution. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it was less of, uh, you know, uh, we, we confined what we would call as highly disruptive players to the seed business, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so Cartrade was a seed investment, right? Okay. Uh, we started that with less than a million dollars, uh, pretty much alongside Angels uh, before micro VC was on. And then we went on to, you know, continue to support them uh, as they grew. So today car trade will look like a late stage or a series A investment, but we actually started on that as an angel. Uh, investment.
2: Being an investor, uh, a VC, did it help you build the muscle to be an angel as well? Do you require different you know, skills? Uh,
1: no, not really. I think a lot of skills are common. So what happened is after we started the Indian angel network, I was already doing some bit of angel investments, right? But through the course of Canaan, and Canaan permitted its uh, people, personnel, to do angel investments on the side. Okay, That was allowed uh, globally. Uh, But I did not want to do angel investments, which potentially would have conflicts later. So in the US, the way we deal with it is, if one partner has an angel investment and they come for an investment, then that partner is not involved, other partners will take the decision. In India, I was the only partner. Right, uh, And so, uh, till 2014, till such time that I decided to exit Canon, actually my angel portfolio was fairly small. It might have been 10 companies or less. Uh, but it did give me a lot of understanding of what was I looking for, what was my thesis. Uh, angel investment is slightly different because you're not dealing with other people's money. right? So you can be a bit more adventurous about it. So most of my angel portfolio actually has been built after I decided to exit Canon.
2: So. You've been investing for over 15 years. Actually, now 25 years. Is that right?
1: No, investing 15, 2005 to now.
2: Yeah. How many investments do you have at the moment?
1: Uh, so, not counting the Canaan portfolio, I have done about 16, maybe. So, But this includes everything that I've done for the last 15 years. Uh, yeah. Some of those would be exited, some of those would be uh, dead, some of those would be, you know uh alive. I think I would really count about 2025 as uh in play I right think. now. Okay. Because
2: uh I saw a list from last year and they mentioned Alok as one of the most prolific angel investors of 2019.
1: Yeah that whatever, right? Uh, <laughs> uh
2: that's fine. That's not a badge of honor. So uh, have, that
1: means you do about four to six deals a year. Um, roughly that roughly, that. roughly that. What's, what, did, what do you do for deal flow? I think a lot of angel investors today you know, struggle with deal flow, right? And, and I think you have a fairly incredible portfolio from the last few years uh, in terms of the entrepreneurs you meet, people who reach yeah. out to you. So I was, I was actually looking at what I do with that. So my portfolio has a mix of, uh, I think, three buckets really. Right. One is people I know. And actually that part of the portfolio has done brilliantly for me. Mm. Right. Uh so people I know before I invested in their company. Let me let me call, call it that, right? Could so you expand on people you know? Because a lot of investors do say people I know. But you know, so there's many different people, layers of that. Yeah. So these are largely people either who I have worked with, right? So this will be my jobs ahead crew, uh right, uh Edison crew. Uh, um, right, people of those sort, are my, uh, uh, alums, so IIT Delhi Network, uh, so, and, uh, uh, largely that, largely that. And then I would count, uh, my, uh, repeat entrepreneurs in their second avatar as people I know, right? So there'll be a few of those where I've backed, mm-hmm. for at least three or four of my entrepreneurs, I've backed multiple companies now. Uh, the second pool is, uh, people who get referred in, right? So someone else is looking at the deal, they'll say, I'll look, take a look. Uh, and so there are about eight, 10 people, you know, who I uh, have co-invested with more than others, right? Uh, so I normally don't tend to follow, uh, uh, but, uh, if someone refers me to someone, then I want to talk to them. I want to make sure, uh, uh, i have conviction uh you know that will be the second pool uh the third pool will be what is coming through networks. so as indian angel network uh or i have participated with syndicates of a couple of friends where i have a pure follower role so there will be about 10 15% of my investments which are you know uh, i have not done active diligence on those companies and then there is the normal inbound right uh so so those are the kind of four pockets. Uh, you know, since I have started NDP, I don't have a lot of time to go out and socialize and generate DP. Sure. So in that sense, uh, you know, networks tend to play a little bit more of a role. Um, I probably don't have the time to process everything that comes in bottom. Uh, and while that that is somewhat unfair to the entrepreneurs, uh, you know, that is the constraint on time uh, that I live with. So every... every Plan that I get, I do uh, go through it. I do respond to the entrepreneur, uh, but there, I, you know, one has to be fairly uh, clinical to say is this worth spending more time on. Uh, whereas at Canaan, you know, I was doing that for a day job, uh, I would engage with a lot many more entrepreneurs. Uh, yeah. As an investor what have you really enjoyed working? Uh, what kind of entrepreneurs have you enjoyed working with? I mean, obviously success is, uh, you know, That's uh, an outcome. Yeah, that's an yeah outcome. it's an outcome. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, um, I think what excites me is uh, ideas and passion. Uh, and so entrepreneurs who, uh, you know, exhibit that uh, can almost, you know, Get my check on the power of that. Right? So, you know, Akshay at Leverage schedule, yeah. He's a, he's a energizer bunny, right? Uh, he's passionate about what he does. You know, he's out there. Uh, he's bubbling with ideas. Uh, right? So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to do those. Uh, I like entrepreneurs who know what they want from me. Right, uh, so, if they can be specific about you know what they are coming back to me for uh that helps right, because, uh, as I said, I'm running my own company, I'm not going and asking these entrepreneurs for an information deck every month every three months uh right so mostly uh i I tend to play a role of uh an available investor, not an active investor, not the passive investor uh and so when the entrepreneurs are coming to me. You know, typically they would come to me with saying, this is the specific issue on which I need your help. They're not coming to me for everything, right? And normally I'm not the only angel investor in these companies. Uh, so if entrepreneurs can triage what they're going to lean on who for, yeah. uh, so I like that, right? And then, you know, when you do 60 investments, you encounter three entrepreneurs who just weren't the right people to back, right? And so those antennas have gotten sharper over time you know, life is too short to, you know, deal with malintent. Uh, But unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, that becomes 5% of the play. So, so I want to scream, you know, well for that because it's just a waste of time uh, to be in those companies. What was the advice you gave to any of these entrepreneurs when COVID struck? When did you um, get a, I'm sure you've you sounded the alarm bell very early, at least to inform them, "Hey, this is happening." As an investor, you probably already have those instincts, uh, saying, "This is what's going to happen. This is going to play out." When did you first hear about COVID in uh, in China, and and how did you kind of react to it? Yeah, I think the the uh, <clears throat> while the chatter had been there, uh, I think middle of February is really the first time when we started to. Uh, you know, understand that this is something that is going to have disruption, disruptive effect. Uh, so, you know, in IndiFi, uh, we started to prepare at that point in time. Uh, and with entrepreneurs that I was talking to, that is the point mm-hmm. at which we started to, uh, uh, interact. Now, since I don't take board positions and I am not the, you know, uh, lead investor on the record for most of these companies, uh, you know, the approach I have followed is A, to be available to them. Right. And, uh, be, uh, you know, align that advice to, uh, what in my view is the middle path. Right. Um, so there is always this, uh, risk of, uh, polarization, right. Of one saying, you know, hunker down, just survive for the next 12 months. Uh, and, uh, second, Instinct could be, you know, this thing is a three-week lockdown after that, things will be fine, right? Normally, I've seen that uh, reality is in the middle and reality is contextual, right? So, for example, uh, you know, if there's a company that is into the travel space and I had one investment in that space, you know, the advice to that company is very, very different from, you know, the advice to an online gaming company, right? Uh, So, it is contextual. Most of the time, entrepreneurs know what their customers are telling them. Right. So the second thing to be avoided in my mind is this top down notion of advice. Right? A memo being sent to all sixty companies saying this is what you've got to do. Right. Uh, and the third important thing is that uh, you know entrepreneurs have to remember that they still are in the business of the allocation.
2: Mm.
1: <clears throat> right? No VC is going to look at a flat curve twelve months later and say, I'm going to fund you because you survived. Right? That is not going to happen. Right. So entrepreneurs still have to find alternate pathways to saying, okay, what does now value creation mean? What should I focus on in the next six to 12 months? Right. They can't focus on just cost reduction. Definitely. And that is true of, you know, me running my own business as much as advice I can offer to other people. So a lot of these advice has been a, you know, I think the most important thing is to be available. Right. Entrepreneurs need to talk. Uh, and then when you are available, uh you know, getting entrepreneurs to articulate what they are seeing. Uh most entrepreneurs know, you know, what they need to do. Mm-hmm. They just need more confidence uh right. in being able to do that. Right. So I think that is the best role I can play. I don't have a crystal ball uh to tell them where they're going. How is this uh I mean of course Indify is a debt financing platform and debt has taken a huge hit um In this last few months, how has it really affected your business and the entrepreneurs you work with as part of Indify? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, how it has affected us has been drawn out of uh, how it has affected our entrepreneurs. Right. So uh, the great thing is that of the investors that we have, uh, three out of the four investors classify themselves as impact investors. We never designed that to happen. But one of the things that it brings to the discussions at the board is the customer empathy. right? So each of these investors, when they started calling us and they started calling us maybe late March or early April, their question to us was uh, what is happening with your customers before they asked us what is happening with the company. Right? right? Uh, and so a lot of what we are doing and how we are handling the scenario is based on what we are seeing happen with customers. Uh, so what we are seeing is in April timeframe, for example, most of our customers right and we operate largely in you know food delivery companies retailers e-commerce merchants most of them were shut for business right and so our response to that was uh you know in line with that right we said we need to tone down the collections page right because our customers are not in a position to pay so for the customer good but also for our own good uh right you need to approach the customer with a degree of understanding these are not people who are not paying because uh, they don't want to pay. It is because their business is uh, hampered, right? So, so one thing that we did was immediately to whatever extent we collect, we brought down the tonality of that collection across the board. As soon as the RBI guidelines around the moratorium came up, mm-hmm. right? We uh, said anyone who needs the moratorium will get a moratorium, right? Uh, and so in April and May timeframe, for example, almost two-thirds of our customers opted for taking the model. Right. Uh, we immediately diverted a large chunk of our sales people to uh, talking to customers in a non-sales non-collections context. Right. So we designed surveys that we would run as continuous trackers. So we ran that in April, in May, in June. So we know what our customers are saying, what were they saying then, what are they saying now, okay. uh, which sectors are going through, how much depression uh, in revenue, when do they expect to come back up again, what help do they need to come back right? Uh, so almost uh twenty percent of our sales capacity we diverted to just doing this to listening to the customer uh, and being able to react to that. Uh, you know for a lot of our customers, their cash flows get routed through us, so that provided us with incremental data to assess uh, how their business is behaving, what is the depression. As of today, about seventy five percent of our customers in food delivery and retail uh, are operational. Uh, back again, uh, and roughly at 75 to 80 percent of the uh, business turnover they were doing pre-COVID. Uh, in e-commerce, 100 uh, percent of the people are back, doing more than 100 percent of the business they were doing pre-COVID. Oh, wow. So now we can design our response, uh, you know, in line with this data. Okay. Right. Uh, so the uh, p- number of people who are taking the moratorium has gone down over the last couple of months. Hmm. Uh, more collections is happening. Uh, And all that is because of the sensitivity that uh, the board was able to bring to the table uh, in addressing this issue. Now, having said that existing portfolio will be under stress, right? Uh, So what we have done is to calibrate what stress will come because of intent issues, what will come because of ability issues. Again, go very, very segmented bottom up on how do you deal with these customers rather than saying, guys, go out and collect hard. right? The second thing that we started to see then is, uh, you know, the cost side of the equation. We had to take steps on the cost side, both on operating costs and people costs. Uh, There were salary cuts that we had to do across the board, above a certain level of salaries, things of that nature. All this got done or the design got done by end of May, uh, end of April, early May. Hmm. And then we said, uh, what is the future? Right. The same thing, you know, 12 months later, someone is not going to invest in us because Alok Mukherjee did a great job of cost cutting. So last quarter, what we did was invest heavily in technology. Uh, we should do that all the time, but we built more technology last quarter than we did in the last one year. Right? Uh, and this quarter, we are beginning to execute on uh, you know strategic uh, uh, uh levers that we think represent the future of lending. Right? Uh, some of those we were already working on, but we are intensifying. Uh, But some of those are new initiatives because we think that COVID will have a lasting impact on the lending industry. Uh, So, you know, orientation towards balance sheet, uh, orientation towards uh, customer engagement, right? Uh, Those are some of the things that we are uh, reinforcing in our business because we think that is what the next four or five years will represent. So that has been kind of the two or three phases, right? Understanding customers, building around them, uh, costs. Uh, technology and product investments, mm-hmm. and then refining our strategy. So I would to, to divide kind of most of the things we've done over the last four, or five months into those buckets. Hmm. What is your outlook for lending going forward? Because I know a lot of lenders had paused to, to making any new uh, commitments. Yeah. So we we did the same. So in April, we did pretty much no new commitments. Right, and uh, I think the quality of data that we are able to lend on is slightly better than what the ecosystem generally does. Uh, so maybe started to crawl. Uh, our own view is that uh, you know we will get back to pre-COVID levels by January-March time. Right now, that could change. It could change on the positive side. It could change on the negative side, depending on how the situation evolves. Uh, but this is time for caution. Uh, for all uh, lending businesses. Uh, but it, I think it is also time for redesign. So we have come up with product constructs, uh, that actually add more value to the customer and are lower risk, uh, for us. Uh, we have started to see better quality customers walk in the door, hmm. uh, hmm. post COVID, right? Because hmm. pre COVID, we were competing with many more people than we are competing with now. So the quality of origination actually has gone up. Hmm. Uh, so I think there are, uh, there are signals we are getting that the quality of business that we we'll end up doing uh, in this environment and even sustain after this uh, is over may actually be better than what we were doing till February. Uh and that is what we need to build ourselves for. Is it because it gave you the pandemic gave you different data points to make better decisions, or there were some other reasons for that? No. So one thing it did is uh, it reoriented us from focusing on just growth. Right? So then the reality is that we have a core product that works. right? And when that happens, then you want to keep driving the organization towards growth, 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 growth. growth right? So we were going right. down that path. right? And when the reset button got hit, we said, uh, okay, we have time to sit back and say, are we building uh, the right uh, product portfolio? right? Or can we reorient to better quality of customers? So those questions became more prominent. More management bandwidth started to go towards the, those questions. Uh, maybe we should have done that before the pandemic hit us right uh, uh but but that is one set of issues the second set of issues is what is happening in the environment right because so few lenders are lending right uh people are coming to us for uh better people better tradeworthy worthy people are coming to us for their trade needs right and we are thinking about i just don't want to do this for the next three months till other people start lending how do i start to build in hooks that allow me to retain this you know better population Uh, after the pandemic is over. So we have done some product initiatives purely to make sure customer engagement is high. right? Right. Uh, And you've been in a payment business. So think payment style, customer engagement, not lending style customer engagement. Uh, So those opportunities have come up because of the pandemic. So it's a mix of the two uh, that is leading us to hopefully a better quality business as we come out of this. A
2: lot is being talked about GST and how it's impacted the segment that you are working with SMEs.
1: Yeah.
2: Has it really helped uh, in the lending business?
1: You know, uh, GST for the lending business so far uh, mm-hmm. is one in that chain of increasing formalisation, and to that extent, it helps. Right. You can see more transactions uh, in a formal manner, uh, and hence, uh, without having a large feet on street, without having to go eyeball the customer. Uh, you can make better decisions, right? but I think the disruptive effect of GST is yet to come. Mm. Uh, you know, so last year there was a, a report under chairmanship of uh, Mr. Yukesena, right, which talked about some of the things that can be done using GSTN. If GSTN started to see itself not just as a tax filing system, mm. right, but as an invoicing system, and some of those things are being put into practice now. So I do think that GSTN is transformative. Uh, to working capital, uh, but the transformative effect still has to show up. What we have seen so far is what I would call relatively incremental effect uh, as one of the contributors to the formalization so you're saying that there are a lot more opportunities yet to come out of GST, which is absolutely, um, absolutely. and are seeing a lot more startups going to
2: uh, take advantage of this
1: actually no, uh, not in the lending domain. Uh, I would love to see more GSTN-centric startup. And maybe once the infrastructure is in place, they will start to come in play, right? So the reality yes. is that uh, some of the stuff needs to get done at GSTN for these opportunities to practice. Uh And so a lot of existing players like us are saying, uh, let's build for that. Uh, right. And in some sense, we have an advantage of being able to build preemptively. We've been building for that for a year now, right? right? Uh, because initially the narrative was that this will come into play in January. We were building for January. Now it's October. Uh, but I would expect to see uh, many more and not just in lending. We are seeing applications of that uh, outside of lending. Okay. Uh, uh, so I, I would think that uh, there should be an entrepreneurial surge uh, around uh, GST and around account aggregators. That's the other piece of infrastructure that will come into play in the next three to six months. Right. Uh, so those put together, I think I think do allow a lot of innovation to happen.
2: look this has been uh, amazing. Uh, we spent quite
1: a bit of time talking about investing and uh, parts of fee. We'll come back to it at some point. Um, are you hiring? Is it uh, you know is is the market bounced back? Are you looking to bring bring on people? So yes and no. Uh, market has not bounced back where we are at the levels that we were at in February, right? So from a Direct headcount standpoint, sales, operations, uh, we continue to be overstaffed at this point. Time. Mm. Uh, but from a capability stat- building standpoint, you know, those are the positions. So very few positions, but specialized positions, uh, more in the indirect cost structure. Those are positions that we continue to hire for.
2: So I'd imagine data and engineering.
1: So data, we have hired people. Uh, so in fact, uh, this month, three more data scientists. Uh, you know, partnership management product development. As I mentioned, there are a couple of new strategic levers that we are running behind. Uh, So the product people for those. Uh, So those are some of the positions that we've been hiring for. Alok,
2: thanks. This has been amazing. Uh, Thank you for your time.
1: Uh, Thank you. you I enjoyed the conversation, especially coming at a Saturday morning at the leisure at my home. Uh, I think some of the upsides of uh, working from home. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um,
0: Thanks, Alok. Uh, Hey guys, if you want to hear from more amazing entrepreneurs like Alok, uh, don't forget to subscribe to the channel and uh, stay tuned.